and 50 and verse 6. And then I want to go to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. From Psalms 150 and verse 6. says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That's a generic command that's given to everybody. It doesn't say everyone. It said everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. Amen. Even musical instruments can be used for praise of God or for the lack thereof, to play other worldly things that are not giving praise to God. So let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And then he says in Genesis 22 and verse 1, verses 1 and 2, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. In verse 5, this is the first time the word worship is mentioned in Scripture, and this is the context of it. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today on the difference between praise and worship. Now, as we learned last week, there are, there are seven, it's probably like eight or nine, there are seven Hebrew words for praise, but there's only one word for, in Hebrew for worship. There's only one word in the entire Bible. Every time the Bible uses the word worship, it, it only gives it one singular word. Uh, and when I say Bible, I, I mean I'm referencing the King James Bible. Not that that's the only Bible there is, but because other translations have different things. But when you look at your King James Bible, um, this word worship is, is only translated from one Hebrew word. And it is this word, shakah. And it means to depress, to prostrate, to bow down, or to reverence. And you can see those right above the word shakah, there are three symbols so in the English language, we have letters. Our, lang- our letters have sounds, but they don't have meanings to it. You know your alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, et cetera, et cetera. A doesn't mean anything. It just has a sound to it. But in the Hebrew, Hebrew letters have symbols, and they have meanings as well. So this word shakah comes for, well, first of all, worship is mentioned 62 times in the Old Testament. It is mostly used in reference to Jehovah. And I say mostly because the only other time it's, it's used in reference to another God is when the Lord is telling Israel not to shakah to other gods, not to bow down to them. But, but, but clearly, any time this word worship is mentioned, it's in, in a positive sense, it means to shakah only to the Lord. And shakah is spelled, as I said, from using three Hebrew letters, the sheen, uh, the kite, and hay. So those are the three Hebrew letters that make up this word shakah in the Hebrew. Let's talk about this first letter, sheen, first. This is the most exciting of all the Hebrew letters. And it is, it is literally the picture of teeth. It's like Sister Abigail found that because the, the one I found wasn't any good, and they couldn't get it up there. So, so Sister Abigail is, did a great job of finding that. Um, so, uh, but this, this, this word sheen is the picture of teeth, and it can mean to consume or to press. It is also the one letter you, God uses to identify himself. You can see there's three little dots on top of this, and, and every one of those dots kind of look like a teeth. And so that's why it means to consume. But it's also the symbol 
the Hebrew symbol for the word God or for, the, for, for, for Shaddai, for, for, for the Almighty. I'm going to do a study on this sometime because you can actually find this symbol in the geography of Jerusalem. And whenever God appeared to Abraham and he said, I am, the, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be thou perfect. In the Hebrew, God or El Elohim Almighty, which, which was from the Hebrew is Shaddai. And this word, this letter Sheen was the, is the first letter in, in the Hebrew text for Shaddai. So, so the Hebrews would use this symbol for Shaddai and they would put it in their Tephilim, which is that, that right above their foreheads when they would write the name of God, they would put this there and that meant the, it meant the Shaddai. And, uh, and so, so that is the first one. Remember that it means to press. Okay. The second one is kite. It's actually pronounced, looks like it should be pronounced C-H-E-T, but it's pronounced kite. And it is the picture of, is the picture of the place or of protection or refuge. It is the sanctuary or the inner room. And that's what kite represents. Okay. And so thirdly, it means, thirdly, the letter is hey. And the, so that's the third letter. And it's the picture of outstretched arms and means to behold, to look up, or to pay attention to what follows. So in this Hebrew word for worship, which is shakah, we have a very hidden revelation, or we've got the context of the real meaning of the word worship. And there's a mystery that's uncovered in the letters. And it is that in the act of worship, we are pressed down as we prostrate ourselves, as we behold the Almighty or the Shaddai, as he draws us into that inner sanctuary where he identifies himself to us. And as we behold, our, as we humble ourselves before him, he draws us close and safely and builds a relationship with us. We build a relationship with him through our worship. That's the meaning of the word shakat. Now, scripture says that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. But worship requires something different. Worship requires a relationship with God as a son or a daughter. Sons and daughters are called to worship. As I said, it is a privilege to worship the Lord. Because in worship, we draw closer to God. We get deeper in our understanding and revelation of God. He draws us into that inner sanctuary, as I said. That, that inner secret place. And, you know, even the psalmist, repre- you know, talked about that, that there is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty. That place is a place of total consecration and worship to God. That when you're worshiping on the Lord, that you are inside of that secret place. You're inside of that sanctuary. Doubt cannot touch you there. Satan cannot touch you there because you are in that secret place of submission to God. And so if you want to grow deeper in your walk with God, it is impossible without worship. Praise is good, but worship is deeper. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. The seven or eight different Hebrew words for praise. And even one of them literally means, as we learned last week, you know, uh, to bow down. But this word for worship also has a context of meaning to bow down. But it is so much deeper than that Hebrew word for praise. Because worship requires holiness. From 1 Chronicles 16 to 29, it says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. 
and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bring an offering. Did you bring your offering today? Worship requires a sacrifice, an offering. He said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This phrase beauty here in the Hebrew context means decoration. I love that. It means the decoration of God, the decoration that God requires is holiness. Meaning separation, to be consecrated, to be set apart for his service. You can read from Exodus 33 or in the early chapters of Exodus where, where, where the Israelites got uh, their gold and their jewelry from the Egyptians and they put it on themselves. God told them to do that because that's eventually what they would use to build the tabernacle with. But that blessing became a place of idolatry as they took it off their bodies and they put it in the fire and Aaron said, out popped this golden calf. I don't know how that happened. It just The fire made it all by himself. And in repentance, God came down, and you know the story. The plague happened, and then, and then God says, tell them to take off their decorations because that became a symbol of idolatry to them. So the only decoration that you need in the presence of God is the beauty of holiness. Holiness makes your worship beautiful. Now, we're not just talking about the outside, but the inside as well. Look at Psalms 29 and 2. It says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness, this is from Albert Barnes' commentary. I love this. This is what he said. He said, The Hebrew phrase would properly mean holy beauty. Some have supposed that it means in holy adorning or in such consecrated vestments as were worn by the priests in the sacred services of the sanctuary, or when they came into the presence of the Shaddai. But the more probable interpretation is that it refers to the state of the heart, the internal ornament with which we should approach God, to a holy and pure state of mind, that beauty or appropriateness of the soul which consists in holiness or purity, because the worship requires us preparing ourselves. Just as the sacrifice was prepared when it came, uh, rather before it was it was offered as a burnt offering, he didn't just you know stick that lamb any which way he wanted to on top of the altar, put a knife to it, and 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 then roast it with fire and call that an offering. But that's that's kind of how our worship is. We kind of expect. You know, man, I hope Sister Jackie and the praise team have, have, are really prayed up today. Hope, hope they brought the fire with them. But, but we're not really bringing our sacrifice. We're just coming as observers. And we're no different than the Gentiles that stood on the outside of the court that weren't allowed in the inner part of the sanctuary in the Old Testament. It was a privilege to be in there because that's where the worship happened. That's where the consecration occurred. And, that, and we're going to get into a lot more detail about the burnt offering next week. But it required an intricate detail, an intricate amount of, of preparation. Worse, it requires preparation. Holiness from the Hebrew is kodesh, and it means a sacred place or a thing. Holiness is sacred. It makes us sacred. From Exodus 33 and verse, or 3 and verse 3, this is when, when God is appearing to Moses out of a burning bush. And Moses said, I would now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh thither, 
For put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. This phrase, holy ground, of course, it would mean Kadesh. Why was Moses required to take off his shoes? Because worship is sacred. And Moses, who had been, spent time in the desert, and he was also tending to sheep, climbing up that mountain, probably was something that he did every day, wore the same pair of shoes for probably for years, maybe even decades. It's not like he could just go down to, to Walmart and buy a new pair of shoes. I mean, it required a, a lot of attention to detail to make shoes. So he would have wore that for several years. He would have had a lot of filth and junk on his shoes. And tending to sheep isn't exactly very clean. You kind of step in it once in a while, if you know what I mean. You got to... So God tells Moses, take off your shoes. They stink. You know what? Worldliness stinks to God. And we come into, we come into the sanctuary and we've got all kinds of stuff on us. And worship requires preparation. We need to spend time. I know we, we don't always, not everybody shows up for pre-service prayer. That's fine. But you need to find a place to talk to God in the morning to get the world off of you. Take off your shoes, Moses, because you got to come in the beauty of holiness. You can't have unforgiveness clinging to you or some grudge or something that happened to you 10 years ago or, uh, or anger or worldliness or some other work of the flesh. you got to find a place to wash your hands and wash your feet of all that stuff. Even before they came into the... Uh, rather, even before the high priest would go into uh, the tent of meeting into uh, the inner place of the sanctuary, there was a brazen laver that you know, some people feel like it had a bull at the top and a bull at the bottom, one for the hands and one for the feet. And they would, they would wash their hands and their feet in that laver. They had to wash off everything they had done and every place they had been to. I pray to God that before we come into the presence of God, we wash ourselves at the laver. That we're holy in our hearts. We're holy in our spirits. That we don't just look the part on the outside, but that there's a burning desire in our hearts to see God. And that's, that's, that's what it means. So we got to take off our shoes. This is why worship is also depicted as a burnt offering. Rather, the burnt offering points to how we ought to worship. Now, I know the burnt offering also depicts how Christ was crucified on the cross. But there is absolutely an element to the burnt offering that it shows us how to worship God. Look at Exodus 29 in verse 38, it says, Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. This is the, burnt, the specifications for the burnt offering. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer in the evening. And one lamb, a tenth deal, of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, etc., etc. Verse 41, And the other lambs thou shalt offer at the evening, and thou shalt do thereto according to the meat offering in the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, a sweet Savior, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So it was, the, it was a fiery offering. Most commentaries feel that, this, that the time of this offering, of this burnt offering in the morning, was the third hour of the day. And the last time it would offer it would be the ninth hour of the day. Now, if you know your Bible, is I know you do. What else happened at the third hour of the day? 
our Lord was crucified. And at the same time they were offering that burnt offering, he was saying, it is finished. And the veil was rent in two. Aren't you glad for that, that we have a better veil than the veil they entered into? We've got a veil of his flesh. That we can come to, we can come to, we can come to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That He's the only way to God. But also, something else happened the third hour of the day. These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the the third hour of the day. They were praying. At the time where those high priests were offering that burnt offering and they were praying. And at the time the fire might have fell on that burnt offering, they were burning that sacrifice. The fire was falling on the real sacrifice on the heads of those who were praying and offering themselves to God. We are that offering. We are that sacrifice. And we should have the fire of God in our spirits burning alive inside of us. Amen. There was an aroma that ascended up to God on this altar. It was an aroma of consecration. Again, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week. It didn't smell very good to us because it would have smelled like burnt flesh. But it smelled like devotion to God because it's the only sacrifice where the entirety of the animal was consumed. Outside the tabernacle was the scent of sacrifice and death. Inside the, the tabernacle, if you know your Bible, there was the golden altar of incense, which was not a bloody altar like the burnt or like the brazen altar was. This altar was made of pure gold, and in it, on this altar, inside the inner place of the sanctuary, uh, was special incense that the priests would burn continually there, and it would ascend continually up to heaven to God, and it symbolized our prayers. And how we ought to, to, to be heard of God continually. Our prayers will be heard of God continually. So the inside represents prayers that are heard of God. The outside represents sacrifice and devotion. If you want God to answer your prayers, we need to be dedicated to worshiping God in the scripturally prescribed way. After all, we are priests unto God. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Why did Peter write about abstaining from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, right after he talked about we ought to be showing forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness? Because that is the only way to worship God is in the beauty of holiness. Take off your shoes, Moses. Get the worldliness off of you. Get the lust out of your mind. Get the anger out of your spirit. Take off your shoes. They stink in the presence of God because worship is sacred. It also is a lifestyle of devotion. The fact that the burnt offering was offered each morning and evening symbolized that there was always something to be burning on the altar in continual consecration to God. You know, that, you know, that, that bullock or that, that lamb, that ram that they offered, was not burnt in just a matter of a few minutes. It would have roasted for hours. You ever, you ever tried to roast a pig? All night. All day. 
Sometimes longer than that. You know, that animal did not burn. So, so there was always something burning on that altar continually. And in the same manner, worship speaks of more than just what we do. And we come into the presence of God. And Mr. Jackie starts playing the piano. And the praise singer starts singing. And somebody's beating on the drums. That's worship too. But worship to God never stops. Because it's, what, it's our lifestyle. It's our service to God. It's, it's the life that we live to him should be a life of worship. Is God pleased with your life? Can he look down and say, I'm pleased by that life because that is a lifestyle of consecration and devotion to me. But if we get to the point where we say, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going to do that because that requires too much. What you're saying to God is I'm going to burn up 80% of the offering, but I'm not going to burn it all. And I would tell you this, the fire will never fall on an 80% offering. You've got to come to God and you've got to be willing to say, Lord, I'm giving you my heart and my soul and my mind and everything that I am. Take all of me, Lord. Here I am. Consecration. Amen. Amen. And I've, I've got more notes, but I will close in this. From our text, what God called sacrifice, Abraham called worship. God said, sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, okay, I'll sacrifice his son. But when he took Isaac and he was going up that mountain, and Isaac said, what are we doing? And Abraham said, we're going up yonder to worship. Don't be like, you know, what if that one widow, as we stand, what if that one widow had kept back her might? All it was was a tiny little mite, which amounted to less than a penny. What if she decided to stay home that day? But you know what? No matter how small your sacrifice might be, you might say, well, I've, I've got a life that's messed up. You know what? Just put it in there anyway, because he hears and he pays attention to everything. So if right now, no matter what state your life is in, if you will lift your hands and be like that widow, all I've got is one little mite but I'm going to offer it to him. My life might be messed up with drugs and alcohol and turn every which way but loose, but I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to look up into the hills. And I know that even though it might be that little might, you'll see the fire fall on that sacrifice. Come on, lift your hands right now. Let your voices out. <laughs>